0: Music everybody it's me one of two Hannah's I know Hannah Gelb is not here today however we have an extra extra special guest we are being joined today by Dan Harris he's a co-anchor of Nightline and the weekend editions of Good Morning America and his bio is very long and impressive so I'm going to skip it because I would rather just talk to him so today we're going to be talking about meditation career and so much more enjoy Dan Dan Thank you for being here, or rather, thank you, ABC Radio Studios, for allowing me to be here.
1: It's a pleasure. It actually couldn't be more convenient. It couldn't be more convenient. I just took an elevator.
0: There you go. Mm -hmm. I took a plane, but it worked out. I actually had the pleasure of being on your podcast a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that was great.
1: It was really fun.
0: Yeah. Are you still really doing fun. your podcast? I am. Yeah, yes. that's great. Guys, yes. you should check out that episode. What's the name of your podcast to plug for our Analyze This listeners? Happy to
1: plug. 10% Happier. 10% a pretty. Happier. Uh, everything I do is pretty much called 10% Happier.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much your brand. I,
1: I lack imagination.
0: Oh, really? Well, you found one really great <laughs> hook and you kind of ran with it.
1: I guess. I guess. <laughs>
0: Tell us a little bit about the 10% Happier journey and uh, I think your newest book, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics.
1: Yes, that was a book I wrote after 10% Happier. Yeah.
0: Um, I read 10% Happier. I have Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, but I myself am not a fidgety skeptic, so I just want to just kind of rub it on people and <laughs> throw it at them.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's good to give to your like ornery uncle.
0: It's good to give yes. to your ornery co-producer, really. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like that. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that might get edited out without you. Oh, uh, not some- my podcast producer. Oh, no. OK. OK. No,
0: no. My my video producer is riddled with crippling anxiety. Really? And I've really just tried to like, I, I mean, I think that she of all people would benefit the most from your journey. Yeah. You know, She went to Penn State, very motivated, very driven, and then just also very crippled with anxiety, frankly. And then I've really tried to like bring meditation into her world like one minute at a time because it's something that. I attribute whatever semblance of balance I have, I really attribute it to being able to ground myself in a lot of ways.
1: So my policy about this yeah. is- How
0: do you force people to meditate, Dan? Well,
1: <laughs> you don't. I know. You don't. It's. It, I, I'm married to a non-meditator. And I think a big reason why she's not a meditator is because when I first got into it, I was incredibly annoying. <laughs> and I learned the hard way to keep my mouth shut. So my policy now is I don't, talk about meditation unless somebody asks me to. So we're here, you ask me to talk about meditation, I will, because I love, it's my favorite thing to talk about. But when I'm out moving through the world, I just keep my mouth shut and
0: You're like a quiet vegan of meditation. Yeah,
1: well, I'm also a quiet vegan.
0: Oh, my God. So
1: I don't really talk about that unless I'm like ordering off a menu or whatever, because I think the best way to do it is just let people notice there's a kind of change in you and have them come to you as opposed to walking around, you know, wagging your finger at
0: people. Right. Lead by example. I will say the more I have talked about meditation, the less I've meditated.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe there's a correlation there. I could see some danger to that. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what brought you to meditation? Were you always someone that loved meditation? Did you grow up in a very Zen Buddhist household? Like, let's talk a little bit about your
1: journey. You no, know, I come from a very hostile place to, to meditation personally and biographically. I had no interest in it. Zero, none. I had a panic attack on live TV, which was super inconvenient. Um,
0: oh, Lord. Yeah. Was it like a small program?
1: Uh, good morning, America. I don't oh know if my. you of that. Yes. Oh,
0: Lord. Pretty, Did yes. people see? Did people know?
1: Uh, so I actually went back and found the research. So the number was 5.019 million. People oh my heart. God. <laughs> yeah. So it was, a, it was a good day for me.
0: 5.019 million mm-hmm. saw, people saw you have a panic attack. You
1: can see it on YouTube. If you Google panic attack on live television, it's the first result.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. Walk. Can you walk us through it a little bit? Like, what led to that moment for you, and what where after? Where did you go after something like that happens? Which, by the way, real quick, just because I'm a I'm a Hannah and I can't help it, I'm so sorry that oh, happened. That, that sounds so yeah. awful. Oh, but I'm, it unlocked a lot.
1: I've got a lot of mileage out of that panic <laughs> attack. So I'm actually not sorry it happened. Oddly enough, it was awful. It was really uh, not fun. It, it happened 2004. So quite a while ago. I was filling in for the. Newsreader. That was that's the person who comes on. They, they don't actually have this job anymore, but they used to have somebody who come on the top of each hour of the show and run through a quick
0: The headlines. The headlines. Here's yes. what's going on.
1: Exactly. At that time Most it was, of
0: it's bad.
1: Oh uh, pretty much all of it bad, except for the last story was supposed to be fun. Oh. And it's called The Kicker. <laughs> and the woman who was doing it, who's full time job at the time. Was uh, who I was filling in for was Robin Roberts, who's now the main host of the show. Anyway, I'd done it a bunch of times. I I was a kind of regular fill in for Robin at this period, so I didn't have any reason to foresee what was about to happen. It wasn't like
0: your first time doing nope. it. It nope. wasn't,
1: nope. you know,
0: it wasn't an exceptional day. Were you feeling, you know, were you trying to hold back diarrhea? Like, nope, nope just nope. a normal day. I mean,
1: that's not out of the range for <laughs> me personally, but I'm just saying on that day, on that, that particular was not day, happening. I I started reading uh, the teleprompter, my little story, the six quick stories I was supposed to do, and I just started to freak out. My palms were sweating, my mouth dried up, uh, my lungs seized up. I really just couldn't breathe. I couldn't, and breathing Mm. is a prerequisite for talking, and talking is a prerequisite for delivering the news. news. Yes. (laughs) You know, if you watch it, I get one of two responses. One, if you've had a taste of anxiety, high anxiety, or panic, those people know exactly what they're looking at, and it's really kind of painful for them. If you haven't, I do sometimes get a response from people like that who say, you know, it didn't look that bad. It didn't look awesome, but it didn't look that bad. And the reason why I was able to kind of— It just
0: looked like you were vaguely bad at your job.
1: Terrible at my job. (laughs) And also very quick because the newscast only goes like two and a half stories. And I quit in the middle and toss it back to the main hosts of the show, Mm. Diane Sawyer and Charlie Gibson. Although I think I said Charlie and Robin, even though Robin wasn't in the building— Anyway, the point is, if I hadn't had the luxury of throwing it back to those guys, it would have gone on. And I would on. have ducked under the desk.
0: Oh, ducked under the desk.
1: That's what the only move I would have had available to me.
0: So I read Ten Percent Happier, and so I have a little bit of insight into the pressure and intensity of your career that had been building up to that point. Obviously, it wasn't your first time at the desk. It wasn't an exceptional day, but after that day, I feel like it had an exceptional change in you or you had an yeah. exceptional response to it. So what what happened next? Did you think to yourself, oh my God, this is it. I've lost my mind. I need to immediately go see a doctor and check myself in somewhere. Like
1: I was really scared. I thought I wasn't going to be able to do my job anymore. I, first of all, I was, is this re- going to happen again? Yeah, I was mm-hmm. really embarrassed and I was really worried that it was going to happen a lot. And so I, it was an existential threat for me. I lied to everybody and said I didn't know what had happened. And I kind of got away with it. So professionally, it was OK.
0: So just one smooth lie over it professionally. Yes. And then personally, you were like, what the fuck?
1: Well, my mother called and said, you just had a panic attack. And my mother's a doctor. And my mother got me in to see a doctor. And the doctor I went to is an expert in panic. And he asked me a bunch of questions. One was, do you do drugs? And I said, yeah, I do. He was like, all right, idiot, uh, <laughs> with him, mystery solved. I
0: think but what he- if you do the right drugs at the right times?
1: <laughs> I mean, that's that's the kind of argument at that point in my life I would have made. I'm
0: really scared that I'm going to walk myself into a Good Morning America panic attack, even though I'm somebody who is not a fidgety skeptic. But I feel like with the pace my career is going, I need to like really take steps back and make sure that I'm rebalancing all the time.
1: That's very important, actually, pushing too hard can have all sorts of negative consequences. And you don't have, like in my case, I was doing a little bit too much cocaine. I think any cocaine is too much cocaine. That's my current view. I co-sign on that. for myself, at least. I don't want to be judgy about this. I think you don't need to be doing the extra stupid stuff that I was doing to have real problems and pushing, 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 pushing your, your system out of whack. That is what can create, all. I don't know if it's going to be a panic attack, but it can create all sorts of problems. I do think you can be balanced and still super effective. And that, to me, has, has been a massive insight.
0: That is shocking. You know, so much of the artistic impulse or the performance impulse seems like it comes from an unbalanced place because it's heightened. In a way, to be able to deliver the news and whatever it is, if it's horrifying news, to be able to deliver it concisely and clearly to camera, it's almost unbalanced because it's like, well, shouldn't you be upset? Shouldn't you be sad? Mm. You're reading a terrible thing. Mm. How is that balance, right? But it's just kind of the nature of the entertainment industry and the media industry is that we're putting on singular moments for people. Something that I've found recently that has been happening to me is I've started to get really nauseous. And I'm like, Hannah, that's not going to be a good habit to just feel physically sick. And that
1: brings it on, do you know?
0: I think it's overbooking myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my sister I, my sister and I went to a premiere last night. I was uh, lucky enough to bring her with me to see the Downton Abbey movie.
1: Oh, cool. I wasn't.
0: Great. Hilarious. Yeah. A romp. Just a lovely, pleasant film.
1: Every time I would watch it with my wife, she, like you, is a little oversubscribed in her life. She would fall asleep, and she would wake up and say, what happened? And I would always say, the Dowager died.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, you should take her to the movie.
1: I will take her to the movie, You should take her sure. to the movie. It was excellent. Yes.
0: So I was... Fortunate enough to take my sister, because she lives in New York now, with me to the premiere because she introduced me to the show. And this morning, as I was getting ready to come here, I had like three or four other things happening leading up to coming to the studio for this interview. And my sister said, wow, you can really push yourself through. And I was like, yeah. She was like, you can really just keep going. I was like, yeah. She's like, I don't think I could do that. And I looked at her. I was like, I don't think I can either. Mm. And that's how I know that I need to regulate my schedule a little bit better because as you get older, your body just starts to respond to things differently.
1: The body will rebel. I had somebody sitting we're we're taping this in in the same studio where I taped my podcast, and I had somebody sitting in the chair you were sitting in recently yeah. yesterday, actually, it was a woman who was in the military and also an academic. she had been pushing herself incredibly hard. She'd also been the victim of some sexual assault in the military. And was pushing to get through a master's thesis or a PhD oh, dissertation Lord. on no sleep and all this stuff. And she was typing, typing, typing. And she just vomited all over the key. <laughs> the-, the body will get you back. Man, you can't escape from this I'm thing. telling
0: you, it really will. The body will catch up. If you continue to ignore, if you psych yourself up into such a state, then your your conscious mind is not actually the leader. It's not like the conscious mind is making all the decisions for your life. Your body and your mind live together. Yes. They are in symbiosis. And so you can't just think, well, if I can set, get my head right, if I can make myself focus, if I can choose to push through this, I will get there. No. What happens is you vomit all over your keyboard. Yes. I thought I was going to puke on my way here. I was carrying all this gear. I was like, God, I feel so nauseous. What, what's going on? I'm just, maybe I'm overtasked. Maybe I drank coffee on an empty stomach. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to puke on the side of the street. That's not how I want to start my day. And then I chose not to get in a cab, and I chose to walk along Central Park West in the shade Beautiful. to get here. It took 10 minutes. Sorry, I was late. But it really helped me reset for a second. Mm -hmm. To walk and to think, it's a beautiful day in New York City. I'm walking to interview someone that I'm very excited to see. I'm walking to have a conversation that I want to have and that I want to share. And that little touchstone kind of helped me put my system back at ease. And meditation is what enabled me to get to touchstones. Mm. That makes sense.
1: To insights in other words some clarity on what's going on internally for
0: you. Exactly. So
1: that's the that's one of the main features.
0: It's one of the it's one of the main benefits and I think when people think about meditation they think of it as such a um a seated practice. It's like, oh, here's my designated practice time, which yes, lots of great ways to meditate. I think that what people don't realize is those little insights it provides, which is like, hey, beautiful day in new york city you're walking along central park west how about you take a couple deep breaths while you do it Mm -hmm. you know those little moments so you go see a psychiatrist or you go see a doctor and he tells you hey buddy you gotta stop doing so much cocaine (laughs) cocaine is not helping you and you're like but everybody else is doing it why isn't it helping me
1: that's actually not far from the kind of thing <laughs> I said to him. Uh, I I went through the stages. You're like it's an industry standard, yes. buddy. You just don't get it. Actually, not really common in the industry so much, but just in my friend group. Oh, but the, so so the backstory is that I had spent a lot of time very similar to what you're describing, sort of, in, in, but my industry version of it pushing, 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 and and it happened to be in the in the period that spanned nine eleven. So nine eleven happened when I was kind of a new, young, ambitious reporter here at ABC News and then i spent years in war zones after that and that got me depressed i didn't actually know i was depressed so i didn't really seek any abiding help and my brilliant move was to paper over it with cocaine oh yeah and that is what according to my doctor changed my brain chemistry and made it more likely that for me to have a panic attack i did quit doing drugs a day i met this doctor and although I did try to bargain with him quite a bit, uh, (laughs) but I quit. And then ultimately that kind of set me off on a journey for lack of a less schmoopy word that Mm -hmm. ultimately got me to meditation.
0: What brought you towards the meditative aspects? I mean, at this point, it's like, okay, I'm going to kick doing drugs and maybe that'll help, which obviously it will. It did. It did a lot. Yeah, Yeah, it did a lot. And then with the extra time you had now, not blanketing (laughs) over your life in the... A constant snow. With that extra time that you had, I guess, when did meditation become into your realm of reason? Like I said, I am I really believe in it, so I, I I overly push it and talk about it. And I'm that person that's always like, you know what you got to do? You got to try meditating. Like, that's me. <laughs> so who was that person for you, or who brought you that way?
1: It's really interesting. I didn't have a person like that, per se. There's a guy who used to work down the hall here who was my mentor. His name was Peter Jennings. A lot of young people don't remember Peter.
0: I know Peter Jennings. Okay, so
1: Peter was the anchorman in America, although he's actually Canadian. He kind of forced me against my will to become the faith and spirituality reporter for ABC News.
0: Oh, right. Oh, sorry. I read your book. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what happened. Anyway. So I didn't have
1: any interest in this stuff because I was raised by both my parents are academic physicians, Atheists. I was quite hostile to faith and spirituality, but... Um, well, in
0: a sense, it makes you a very objective candidate to cover it.
1: I think so. I hope so. So anyway, I got thrust into this whole world. Most of the beginning of my experience in faith and spirituality was all sort of like evangelical stuff. This was around 2004 when George W. Bush was re-elected with a big values voter coalition. And then over time, that started to slow down, and a colleague of mine... One day she said, you know, have you read Eckhart Tolle? And I has said, had no idea who that was.
0: You said Gesundheit.
1: Yeah, something <laughs> yeah. like that. Well, she's, I remember she said something like, well, it's all about controlling your ego. The group we were in when she brought this up started laughing because obviously, like, I'm an egomaniac news anchor. So that's what we all thought it was. Mm-hmm. But Eckhart Tolle's thing, he's a self-help writer. And his thing is that, that the ego, he this is just a, a word he uses for the voice in your head. Mm-hmm. The inner conversation we all have all the time that most of us aren't really aware of, mm-hmm. that there's this little voice. That chases us out of bed in the morning and is yammering at us all day long. We're constantly wanting stuff, not wanting stuff, judging people, comparing ourselves to other people. You know
0: what I think my voice says? Mm-hmm. If you don't do it, no one will.
1: Or it's saying actually, there may be even more catastrophizing than that. It's saying if you don't do it, you're going to end up
0: nothing's going to under a bridge. Yeah, that is my voice. My voice is like if you don't get up right now, everything you've built will fall apart. Yes, there is no ten extra minutes of sleep. Right. You got to get up. Yes, that's my voice.
1: You know, I mean, there are good parts and bad parts. So you you want to be able to take some of the wiser suggestions from the voice and leave the self lacerating ones that are going to leave you sort of lead you to puke all over your keyboard (laughs) or have a panic attack off. And what meditation does, it helps you sort that. It helps you have a clear enough inner lens so that you can see, all right, this is a terrible idea or this is a good one. And you're not going to get it right all the time, but you have more, you have a leg up in this lifelong wrestling match that we're in with the voice in our head.
0: And I think, I think that's one of the misconceptions people have about building a meditative practice. And frankly, embarking on a self-help journey that somehow there's going to be a day that you'll get better. You'll be done. (laughs) You'll be one perfectly formed, Fresh out the oven. Ah, oh, look at this biscuit, this perfect biscuit. Good job. You're great. You're done. You don't have to try ever again. That is just not the case. Nope. It's, in fact, a lifetime of that wrestling match you described. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that's kind of, sounds like bad news, but what's the alternative? Picking all over your keyboard. That's
0: right. For the rest of your life. Yes. Yeah. Or
1: having this, totally who, by the way, I have my beefs with, but he, he has this one brilliant phrase, which is, we have this background static of perpetual discontent. And... We're owned by this inner dialogue that, again, most of us are unaware of. And that unawareness means that it just drives us blindly. It does. We, as a consequence, do all sorts of things that we're embarrassed about. where We have all these victim stories or we have all this anger, whatever, that pops out in ways that we later don't quite understand. We kick the dog. We're mean to our kid. Whatever it is, the answer, the antidote, is seeing it clearly. Yeah. And meditation helps you do that. Yeah. Therapy can help too. Talking to your friends can Exercise. help too. Right. There are lots of modalities here. I just think meditation goes the most- Bang with, for your buck. Absolutely. With the most sort of extreme prejudice right at this issue.
0: I, I completely agree. I find that the more successful I become, the lower my self-esteem gets, which is a weird correlation that I just don't want. But it's almost like the the higher the stakes are, the the more empowerment my ego voice has. It's not quite imposter syndrome because it's not like I don't think I deserve to be where I am. It's just I get more insecure about what I have.
1: Not wanting to lose it?
0: Not wanting to lose it. So you that, know? Is that
1: self-esteem or is it just kind of a fear?
0: It's probably fear. I guess it's a worth, wildness maybe, which is why I equate it to self-esteem. It might just be fear that it's going to disappear. But I guess that when you're your own brand and your own industry, it kinda it, it it's like the fear and self-worth kind of blend together.
1: Is the self-worth pegged to the success of any project that you're doing right now?
0: Nope. It's just pegged to my performance every single day. It's that constant critic that wants to you know, they say Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> that critic is always trying to take the wheel for me. <laughs> it's like it's the opposite of Jesus. I would love if Jesus came and took the wheel. Thank you.
1: So it's it seems like it's a kind of a combination of the As soon as you get or achieve something new, then you're really desperately trying to protect and defend it. Correct. And you are in that light evaluating every bit of your own personal performance through the lens of, are you jeopardizing what you've built? Yes. Am I saying that accurately? You
0: are. And ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when you interview a journalist. (laughs) uh, They're like, well... Here's a point I'd like to bring up.
1: <laughs> well, no, I, I, I the reason why true. I want to clarify is because actually, I, there's somebody in my life who said something that I that's been very helpful. That might be germane. That's why I wanted to clarify because I didn't want to pass this along if it wasn't going to hit the spot. I have a corporate coach, uh, so I, I'm in a not dissimilar situation in that I too have been kind of building this brand built around me, which that's a flawed. Asset around which to build a brand. I agree. Uh, so I have a podcast. I write books. I have a, I have a company called Ten Percent Happier, which is a meditation app. I feel a lot of pressure in the in the midst of all of this. Sometimes it brings out my worst. This coach that I work with is a very sensitive, smart guy. He's Buddhist inflected. His name is Jerry Colonna. He's also written a book himself, and he's been on my podcast a couple of times. One of the things that we identified as a driver for my worst behavior which ironically you think you're doing this stuff to protect yourself. Yeah. But it's actually endangering you. Oh god. <laughs> so because you're you're actually degrading your performance in some ways and you're probably alienating well in my case I was alienating the people around me because I was being so hard on myself that I was then being hard on them.
0: They always say that do you think it's true? The people around me do also say I'm hypercritical and I'm a little like, you know, they always feel like I've got feedback all the time. So, okay. So maybe that there's some weight to that. So well, in
1: my case, I was just kind of being a jerk. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know in your case, but I'll just speak for myself. Jerry pointed out that a lot of this was driven by a primordial desire on my part to feel safe. Yeah. And it's like the five-year-old... That's the ghost in the machine inside of me is trying to keep me safe. It's doing that in all sorts of unskillful ways by like applying this inner cattle prod to me through self-lacerating self-criticism. And that resulted in my case in being kind of unpleasant to the people around me. And I've just been able to kind of play this mental game recently, just kind of toying with this recently of just reminding myself in those moments when I notice, oh yeah, I'm starting to feel unsafe. I'm safe. Yeah. and play out the catastrophizing voice all the way to the end what if your next project fails what is really going to happen and are you really going to be under a bridge and if you were under bridge would you really not be able to deal with that given how scrappy you are
0: oh i could make living under a bridge great
1: you probably could <laughs> but you're not going to end up under a bridge right. you know if you really examine what the voice is telling you is going to happen as a consequence of whatever mistake you might have made on any given day. Yeah. It's just not true. And it's unskilled. Thank you. Thank you for trying to keep you safe, but you're not needed right now. Stand down.
0: Yeah. It is about safety. A hundred percent. You know, I went to this past life regression for a video. It was fascinating. You know, it's like uh, this hypnosis kind of thing in my head. I'm like, okay, well, you know, let me justify it. Like if the subconscious mind processes things through a series of ways, like let's get hypnotized. Let's do this. And what I didn't expect was to be asked for an intention. You know, I mm. thought it was just going to be like, watch my finger and let's get going. <laughs> oh, my God. You were Roman. It was a fascinating video <laughs> and episode of Analyze This. For those of you who haven't listened to it, it's called Hypnotoast because uh, I think we had a great toast that morning right before oh, and I, I really just, you know, house baked bread. Just that was fantastic.
1: Anyway. Oh, that you weren't toasting with booze. No,
0: so no, no. Toast. We actually, we gotcha. had a really great toast okay. that morning. Nice. nice. Oh, I would kill for a toast right now. Maybe I'll get one later. So I was asked for an intention for the, the regression. You know, it's like as we do this hypnosis regression, like let's set an intention for it. And I was like, oh, okay. What is a feeling that you wish to have or a feeling you wish to let like go of or blah, blah, blah? Like if you could have one thing you could change about your life, what would it be? And I was like, huh. And, you know, I was kind of taken aback because I wasn't expecting the question. So I had a very honest answer. And I was like, I want to feel safe. And we did the past life regression and there was this sense of dis, it, I'm not going to go back to it, but it was really interesting what came up. And I realized that I, I feel so unsafe that I can't even follow the catastrophe all the way through. Mm. Like I'm scared to even think it through. Like right now I have My Drug Kitchen Holidays, a guide to how to savor and celebrate the year. It's my third book. There's a lot of pressure on me for it to be another bestseller, a three-time New York bestselling author. A three-peat, yeah. a three-peat right? Got to get that three-peat though. Um... <laughs> I am haunting myself with this idea that if it doesn't happen, if I don't get the 3 P, it's because I didn't work hard enough. Mm. It's as if all of these days where I'm like, I need to take 10 minutes to make sure I don't throw up, somehow meant I didn't work hard enough. If all this effort, all this schlepping of gear and going out and trying to make all this stuff happen, if I don't get on that list, that is proof that I singularly didn't work hard enough Mm -hmm. to make it happen.
1: Yeah, you suck uncontrollably.
0: Yes. I just have not gotten to the point in my self-development where I have a counterpoint for that. I'm like, yes, yes, that is it, that is the case. It's not that there's three other cookbooks coming out that month, celebrity cookbooks, same month, much bigger audiences. It's not, just didn't do it, just didn't make it, just didn't sell enough copies. It's none of that. It's singularly only my fault, nobody else's. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to feel that way.
1: And it's a judgment on your worth.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that becomes a judgment on my worth. And right. then it's like, well, why would I even want to start more projects if I can't guarantee their success, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, this has been very helpful for me. But I yeah. feel
1: you. I really do. That's, I have that dialogue all the time. And I think a lot of us do on lots of different levels, even if we're not trying to, even if we're not so narcissistic that we're bringing, building brands about ourselves. Also, I'll speak Our for myself, towers. not you. Um, <laughs> but, hey, uh, I'd
0: like to think that we're not, you know, the the idea of the brand is different from the person.
1: You know, I, I hope so.
0: I hope so, too, man. I really do.
1: Right, because it is, as we said before, kind of a flawed asset. Nonetheless, I, I think I'll tell you what's really helped for me aside. One other thing that's helped for me aside from just reminding myself, like, no, it's actually it's fine. It's fine. You will be fine is also being a little bit more intentional about the projects I pick. Mm-hmm. I was in a Pac-Man stage where I was just oh, eating oh. every opportunity. I So I wrote 10% Happier, came out like five and a half years ago. I Nobody expected it was going to do well. I did not expect it was going to do well. And it became really successful. And I was so surprised and so psyched that all the opportunities that came up afterwards, I said yes to all of them. And ironically – a book about meditation, about taming the voice in my head, put my ego on steroids. and went like supernova. <laughs> so it was ridiculous and embarrassing. And now I'm realizing.
0: You're like, oh, my God, am I a guru?
1: Yes, exact something like that. I didn't really get no, into yeah, like thinking I was a guru per se, but I wanted to eat everything. Mm-hmm. And now I think I see how much pain that it was causing me. And I'm actually getting much more deliberate about saying No. Only doing the things I truly want to do and reminding myself I'm safe. For example, I recently went part-time here at ABC News. Mm. I was the host of two shows. When you introduced me, you said co-anchor of Nightline and co-host of Weekend Good Morning America. I actually dropped Nightline, Mm. which is a really... Unusual thing to do. I said, I I can't do everything. I love Nightline, but it's improved my... Quality of life. Vastly, and I think it's going to improve the quality of my work. Mm. And so I have this meditation teacher named Joseph Goldstein, who is the teacher that I work with personally. And he's always saying to me, it doesn't matter how much you do. It matters the quality of what you're doing. And so he's like, I don't care if you write one book in the next decade or if you write five. I just want them to be awesome. So that's helped for me.
0: That is... That is helpful. I have to reflect on that and figure out what is the most, I guess, regenerating projects that I embark on. What fills me back up, you know, each time I do it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the stage of like my life journey that I'm at right now is like I've gotten to the point where I can identify the feeling, which is like I feel unsafe. And I can look at that and be like, okay, and start talking to myself through that. And I look forward to getting to the point where I can start pulling back because when you feel unsafe, you can't pull back from anything. That's right, because everything. I can see in your
1: eyes the idea of pulling back is scary to you.
0: It is scary to me. It is. I, I'm I'm scared that like somehow it'll be like letting people down, or people from your life will just disappear. Your management won't be interested. Your agents, your your team, you won't have money to pay people. You won't. Just this the voice in your head, but well, I'm I'm aware. But you know, it's it's winning. It goes back and forth. Have yeah. You re-
1: have you read a book called Essentialism?
0: I have not. Uh, I, Check it out. Okay, I'll check out essentialism. The
1: guys, I've never. I've been meaning to have him on on my show, and his last name is McCune. I believe he's associated with Stanford in some way. Mm. And he, the book basically argues that you can't do everything. You c- you got to pare down to what's essential and kill it at that.
0: Yeah, I feel so compelled to pull so far back that I have enough creative and emotional distance and space that I could do something completely new, mm. like write fiction. There's some part of me that just really wants to continue to grow as like an artist because I've been very much focusing on growing as an entrepreneur and I'm running out of gas. Yeah. You know, and I appreciate this earbuds. That's what we call our analyze as listeners, because I think there are so many misconceptions about people who are successful, people that have success or people that run self-help podcasts <laughs> that they themselves, the individuals are somehow, I don't know, doing it right. But the reality is, is that all these feelings and insecurities, they can translate down to everybody's lives. They translate. You know, if you're someone who feels that pressure, even if you're not like, well, I don't even work in entertainment. How can I be relating to this? Like you are. We're all made of the same stuff and we all relate to it in the same way Mm -hmm. because that's kind of all there is, Mm -hmm. which is why we here at Handleize this love meditating, but will now make a new thing where I don't constantly tell people to do it all the time. (laughs) And instead, maybe every time I feel compelled to tell someone to meditate, I'll just do it myself. You know, this has been such a delightful conversation for me, but let's talk about just some practical tools mm-hmm. that you have found helpful. If you haven't tried meditation, for those of you listening who haven't, who have been curious, what are some baby steps? What are some small bites? What are some some practical tips and tools that you've ha- you found helpful for yourself?
1: I had a really good learning experience recently about, because I think there are some ways in which I'm now a decade into meditating that I can be Personally, a little distant from the beginning meditator in that, to me, it's just like, why Why aren't you doing this thing? Do it. My company recently got contacted by a little company called Apple, and <laughs> Apple asked us to teach their employees how to meditate. Oh, wow. So we do this thing where every year we do a, actually in October, every year we do a month-long challenge for 150,000 people at Apple or anybody who wants to opt in out of that body of people. And we set it up for people who are skeptical or worry they don't have the time to do it. And so it's a month-long challenge. And the challenge is, can you meditate 25 out of 31 days for at least a minute? And that combines two concepts that I think are really useful for people who are aspiring meditators. One is daily-ish. If you aim to do it every day, if you miss a day, you're, the voice in your head may swoop in and say, you're a failed meditator, you're out of here. So this elasticity, I think, helps people kind of gives them the flexibility, I think, to get up on their feet toward establishing a habit. Because establishing a habit is really, really hard to do. And so one thing that's helpful to know going into something like that is that you're probably going to fail a couple times and that you need to experiment. So that's one thing. The other thing is that a little motto I have is one minute counts. The biggest problem people have in terms of meditation is finding the time to do it. And so if you tell them, hey, a minute counts and you don't have to do it every day, it lowers the sort of nervous energy and it allows people to have a bit more of an open mind. And What we found is that when we set things up that way for Apple, they won't let us give the statistics, but the buy-in and completion rate is incredibly high. So that gives me a lot of confidence that when I talk to sort of smart, skeptical folks who are interested in doing this but can't quite get over the hump, that if you give them these two little tools of just try to do a minute most days, then they're able to do it.
0: It's kind of grounding your expectations for yourself in a way that will make them accomplishable. Yes. I'm a big believer in daily-ish. I remember when I first started meditating, I did the take 10, meditate 10 days in a row for 10 minutes a day. Took me one year to do it, but I did it. And after that, I was like, oh, I have a base now. Mm -hmm. Having the self-knowledge to check in with myself this morning, being like, I need 10 minutes and I need to walk. And those little moments really have profound impact. They they have significant change for the way you get to enjoy living your life.
1: Yes. What you're describing is something called mindfulness. And mindfulness is the fruit of meditation. Mindfulness is a kind of generic sounding word. It's also like a massively overhyped word. Oh, because so Because people use over-hyped. it all the time. And I know. They often it's like,
0: even someone who loves this stuff, I hear the word mindfulness and then my automatic re- response is like, Bleh. <laughs> You know?
1: Not unjustified. But actually, here's a simple... That and gratitude. Right. Also, which is, gratitude is massively useful. Yeah. But overused but let me just say on mindfulness a very simple way to think about this is it's the ability to know what's going on in your head without being owned by it that's what you did this morning your meditation practice kicked in you were like wow my body's telling me something i feel frazzled i'm just going to cool it for a second that is mindfulness in action and that's why we do this thing because the alternative is
0: throwing up on a, your keyboard and on the keyboard, on your keyboard that's good. i wonder if this is going to be the name of the episode hmm it be
1: could be. Very yeah.
0: exciting. Peaky on your keyboard with Dan Harris. Dan, thank you so much for being here. If people want to follow you, find you, and, um, and benefits from the fruits of your labor, uh, <laughs> where where can they go?
1: Okay, I've written a couple books. One is called 10% Happier. The other is Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. I have a podcast called 10% Happier. I have an app called 10% Happier that you can learn how to meditate on. We have this like course that's called The Basics. And we found that people who take that course are 10x more likely than people who don't to establish an abiding habit on our app so really I'm quite confident that works I'm on Twitter and Instagram but I don't use it that much because I found through mindfulness that it makes me unhappy
0: Very good. I'm also across the board on the internet. If you don't know, now you do. Harto H-A-R-T-O. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you, Dan, for being here. And for those of you who want to join our uh, Patreon family, you can go ahead and join at patreon.com slash analyze this. You know, rate, review, et cetera, et cetera. But more importantly, just take in some of your internal feedback that your body is already giving you. We don't have a catchphrase to end the show. I've been experimenting with save yourself, but uh, it's not really catching on. (laughs) It makes me laugh every time. But for now, we'll just say and uh, have a great day.